Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 551. Chapter 83. Lack of Sight. So Taberlin was prisoned deep underground, Martin said. They had left him with nothing but the clothes upon his back and an inch of guttering candle to push away the darkness. The sorcerer king planned to leave Taberlin, trapped until hunger and thirst weakened his will. Cyphus knew Taberlin swore to help him. The wizard would abide by his promise, because Taberlin never broke his word. Worst of all, Cyphus had taken Taberlin's staff and sword, and without them, his power was all dim and guttery. He'd even taken Taberlin's cloak of no particular color. But he wore... Sorry, but... Hespi, would you be a darling and pass me the skin? Hespi tossed Martin the water skin and took a deep drink. That's better. He cleared his throat. Where was I again? We had been in the Eld for twelve days and things had fallen into a steady rhythm. Martin had changed our standing wager to reflect our growing skill. First to ten to one then fifteen to one, which was the same arrangement he had with Dayton and Hespi. My understanding of the Adam hand language was growing, and as a result, Tempe was becoming something other than a frustrating blank page of man. As I learned to read his body language, he was slowly being colored in around the edges. He was thoughtful and gentle, Dayden rubbed him the wrong way. He loved jokes, though many of mine fell flat, and the ones he tried to tell invariably made no sense in translation. This isn't to say things weren't perfect between us. I still offended Tempe occasionally, making social gaffes I couldn't understand, even after the fact. And that's the page. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And there's no Nick today, which means we can sneak into his room and steal his stuff. Yeah, well, he was imprisoned in a tower by a sorcerer king, so uh, you know, sucks to be him. Yep. So one thing that I wanted to bring up right away on this page, because if I don't uh, and Nick doesn't, then nobody will. And it was sparked by your pronunciation of the, the name of the sorcerer king, which I would might have seen as Skyphus, but you said Cyphus. Yeah, I see the C as, as silent, like in science. Hmm. It should be science, if you ask me. Um, but, <laughs> but in Edemic legend, the names of the Chandrian are uh, a bunch of ones that don't matter, but one of them is named Cyphus. Oh my god, you're right. C-H-U-S. <gasps> so that makes me wonder if this is this if if this story about Taberlin being trapped by this wizard king, if this is actually like a sort of bastardized version of an event that actually might have happened and i wonder if tabralin was an emir yeah maybe i mean surely stories could be like conflated all together through his like maybe like maybe tabralin is many people sort of thing like maybe maybe like a story of an adem turned into a story of tabralin kind of thing yeah absolutely exactly and maybe like and 
you know, that could be for any number of reasons. You know, maybe this is like, maybe this is Amir propaganda, you know, because the Amir order, as people think of them, were or were kind of prescribed. This is like a way to get their their stories out under a different guise because everyone likes stories about Taberlin. You know, mm-hmm. maybe this is this is like a chandranoid suppression of some kind of truth. Uh, interesting. Something to something to think about. Something to keep an eye on. In- indeed. Also, on the pronunciation of sorcerer's names, points to me for not calling him Tamberlin. <laughs> True say. True say. Uh, when he's talking near the end of the page about how he makes jokes, but they fall flat, and then Tempe tries to make jokes, but the translations don't work. This is me and most jokes. I I enjoy this because I, I like jokes. I love jokes, but I either don't get them or like on occasion the I, I guess it's not a translation, but just like the 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 things that are meant to make sense like don't click with in my brain a lot with jokes. So like I really appreciate that uh this is a thing that is happening to them. <laughs> well and humor is such a like specific thing like jokes from one culture often don't translate to another culture because they rely on a set of assumptions that aren't true from one culture to another you know what i mean yes yeah that makes sense Mm -hmm. and well so idioms are like that too yeah like uh like the one idiom the pot calling the kettle black there's another version of it somewhere and i remember hearing it and being like that doesn't make as much sense but and the fact that that Taberlin is armed with both a staff and sword uh, gives him like big Gandalf vibes to me. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that like Taberlin is a less useful kind of magic than the non-magic of of like the university skills because he needs he needs the stick. Like apparently without the stick his magic is is less useful. Hmm. I mean, I think we're about to find that, you know, even without his staff, Tarbolin, uh is is no is no chump uh, on the next page. His, well, his power is dim and guttery, and I don't really know what guttery magic is like, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think we're supposed to understand that, like, he's less powerful without his staff because, you know, the staff gives him, like, a plus five to his intelligence score or whatever. But, you know, if your wizard doesn't have a staff in D&D, but he's a 20th level wizard, you can still do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Well, okay, wait. Quick recap on just D&D as an example, because there's wizards and there's sorcerers, and one of them doesn't need a stick. Neither of them needs a stick. Oh, okay. Which, okay, one of them doesn't need spells. One of them can just do magic without knowing a spell, right? What, what, in third ed and and up, the, the difference between wizards and sorcerers is that wizards... um write down can write down spells in a spell book and then every day they pick you know like five or six spells that they're going to know for that day and then they forget them and they pick a new set at the beginning of every day but they have a whole spell book to pick from every day and they can copy spells into it and whatever whereas sorcerers don't have a spell book and don't need to memorize spells but they have a they do just know spells by heart but they only have a very limited number of spells that they know Ah, I see. But, but I they see. always know all of them every day. Okay. Oh, man, hard to... I was going to say, because if like one of them doesn't have to use the spell book, then that one's definitely better. But, but considering the constraints on that, I now see why you might pick one over the other, depending on your situation and your party's uh, variety. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the thing with wizards is like, 
if you know what kind of situation you're going to be facing that day, then a wizard can plan for a very specific set. Like, okay, we're going to sneak into somebody's castle tomorrow. I'm going to prepare a bunch of spells that'll be really useful for that. So like, you know, uh, improved invisibility and, you know, sleep and this and that and the other thing. Uh, whereas like a sorcerer's just like, well, I only know fireball. So that's the spell I'm going to use tomorrow. <laughs> Indeed. But if the wizard, like if, if the wizard encounters a situation for which they did not prepare, then they're kind of screwed. Right. Yes. All right, back to more wizard stuff. I think we should do a quick inventory of what Taberlin's got on him and why those things might be important. So he's got the candle. What is a guttering candle? Why is that different than a regular candle? Uh, What does that even mean? Also, the fact that it's a guttering candle and then later they say his magic is guttery feels like a weird... Like, we don't even see those words normally. Why are they both on the same page? (laughs) I I mean, I think that's deliberate because... Quoth often uses uh, fire as a metaphor for his own use of, of sympathy. And gu- like when a candle is guttering, it means that like it's being blown about by the wind. You know, it, there's not much wick left. It's about to go out. That's what a guttering candle is. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so uh, the fact that it's guttering makes, makes the fact that Taberlin's candle is guttering makes his situation seem more desperate. And then kind of recalling that idea when talking about his his power makes a makes his situation seem more desperate too because if his power is dim and guttery then it's weak and unreliable got it okay yes i see i see that okay yes makes sense okay so he's got this candle mm-hmm. and they took away his his staff and his sword and his coat of no particular color which is a lot like Quoth's cloak later. Well, and I think Quoth draws that comparison explicitly, right? He's like, I felt like Taberlin the Great with my cloak of no particular color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. Inventory done. I, mm-hmm. I'm i sure there's a crackpot in there somewhere, but either Nick can talk about it later or we'll get a letter. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I think that the fact that we kind of get that heroic inventory does make Taberlin feel like a plausibly mythic figure because that's such a common element of like fantasy fiction. Like Gandalf has a staff and he has Glamdring, you know? Uh, but even like going back to like characters from myth, like, you know, when Perseus, is it Perseus who fights Medusa? Uh, uh, no, it's, oh is man. It Theseus? No, it's, uh, it, ah, oh, fucking, uh, Odysseus. Odysseus fights Medusa. It is extremely not Odysseus who fights Medusa. Who fights Medusa? For God's sake. Perseus. It was Perseus. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. You were right. I'm sorry. As usual, (laughs) Jeremy is correct. Also, you owe a background Jeff for clearing that up for you. Thanks, background Jeff. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like Perseus, when he encounters Medusa, before he gets there, he's like, prepared with all these items that the gods have given him, right? He has the mirror shield the that Athena gives him. He has like, I think he has a hat. I think he borrows Hermes's hat that makes him invisible. So he like has that kind of like heroic inventory. And so that those are like, these are like kind of signifiers that Taberlin is like this mythic figure that he has these, these accoutrements that he always has. Mm. Kind of the same way that like when you're looking at Greek statues, you always know when it's a statue of Heracles because he's wearing the skin of the Nemean lion and he has a big club yeah. and a beard. Nobody yep. else has that. Yes. Reasonable. Yeah, so the lion really gives it away. Yeah. Um, 
If we have mail, it's your job. It is my job, and I bet that we do. This is a letter from our friend Rachel, who writes on the subject of the Doors of Stone prologue. Hello, guys. You asked for mail, and I have lots of jobs I'm procrastinating from doing, so I thought I would oblige. I know this isn't wise man's fear, but I wanted to talk about your interlude episode where you discussed the Doors of Stone prologue. Firstly, how exciting that the prologue has been made available. Hopefully the rest of the book isn't far behind. I wanted to let you know that I am in love with your theory about the prologue and how the evidence of hurried work mentioned is evidence of Foth trying to open his thrice-locked chest. You said that the tools scattered around were similar to the methods that Bast had suggested using to try to break into the chest in Wise Man's Fear. I had not picked up on that at all, but have gone back through the text to check it out. The Wise Man's Fear quotes below relate to chapter 71, Interlude, the Thrice-Locked the, thrice Chest. From Wise Man's Fear. I try to set fire to it, but I know Roa doesn't burn. I'd have better luck getting it hot enough so the copper lock would melt, but to do that, I'd need to get the whole thing to sit face down in a forge fire. And then from the prologue of Doors of Stone. The bricks of a tiny forge made small, sweet pinging noises as they cooled. And then from Wise Man's Fear. And acid? I know we have some potent stuff downstairs. I was thinking of the locks again. With enough acid, I could eat clean through them. And then from the prologue of Doors of Stone, a spill of acid hissed quietly to itself, having slopped over the edge of a wide stone bowl. Rachel says, that definitely can't be coincidence. The two methods that Bass suggested are the two tiny forgotten sounds mentioned in the prologue. Also, this prologue comes immediately after the end of Wise Man's Fear. Quoth has just been beaten up by the soldiers that Bast secretly hired. And in the penultimate ch- chapter, we see him trying and failing to open his chest. Open, damn you. Edro. It makes so much sense that, having failed to open it the way he intended, he would resort to desperately trying the methods that Bast had suggested in their lesson. It also seems obvious to me that this lesson was definitely, quote, looking for ideas and passing it off as a trivial exercise. As I said, I love this theory, and in my opinion, it is all but confirmed. Very glad to have you guys back online after your break. Keep up the good work. It is much appreciated. Signed, Rachel. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. And thank you for doing that research. I do think that is a really compelling piece of evidence. Uh, although I do wonder, and you can tell me if you think that this pot is too cracked. What if it's not Quoth who's been trying to open the chest, but Bast after all? What if Bast was like, you know, Reshi can't do it. Maybe I can try some of my methods to see if I can do it for him. I like that twist. Although I, I mean, I'm not bothered one way or the other. Mm. As usual, Jordana, unbothered, in her lane, moisturized, flourishing. Thriving. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And listeners, I hope that you're all thriving uh, as we continue to invade your ear holes on tomorrow's page. Of the wind. wind.